How many are glad you're going to heaven this morning? Come on. And uh, what a great morning. Beautiful. I know it never rains or snows in Freehold, New Jersey. It's always sunny and 70 and beautiful like this. And uh, what a joy. You can maybe turn me down quite a bit, I think. But, but uh, what a joy being here this weekend at a great time on Friday night. I know Robert enjoyed being with the ladies yesterday. And you guys, man, I couldn't. I walked in yesterday, uh, met with Pastor Jeff, went out to lunch. I'll mention that in a second. But saw the setup in this room. And uh, Rachel, like, put it at a whole different level. I couldn't even take pictures that would discourage other churches that, that do women's events. Because it was like catered. The food was amazing. Uh, I even had a little bit of it last night the room and I, I, I was so good I took one bite and I said Jesus I want you to come back but not until I'm done eating this food but what a great time Robert and I with the ladies and and uh, what a great leader uh, Rachel is and Robin came back raving about her spirit but all the ladies and and uh, we're just enjoying our time we're at a great time of lunch Pastor Jeff and also Pastor Fogel at the Longhorn Steakhouse Ministry Center and uh, not far from here love Pastor Jeff and Heather love their spirits love this just no fluff. I've always been refreshed by being around Pastor Jeff. Just the real deal. Can someone say a big amen? The real deal. And you know, I'm grateful. I wouldn't trade the call of God to be an evangelist because that's the lane God has us in. But I recognize the importance of the role of pastor. Uh, we have our pastor back home in Pennsylvania that we're connected to our home church. We're not there hardly ever, but uh, we have a home church under that umbrella. And my pastor means everything to me. And I'm grateful for men of God that, that fulfill that role of a God-called pastor. And God's given you the cream of the crop here in Freehold, New Jersey. And uh, his love for you guys and love for this church, this area, it, it refreshes me. So it's an honor to be with you guys this weekend. Uh, you know, you just saw a good segue, this mission giving. I don't know too many missions uh, posts where people give like a, a, 110%. That was pretty amazing. And, um, you know, we see the images happening on the world right now. It's images that are hard to watch and go to bed with and all the different things. Things that are happening, but before I just jump in the, in the pastor this morning, I'm going to share about. It's, I'm not preaching on hell this morning, by the way, but but I want to just give you some pictures, some good images. Uh, you're a mission church, and God is moving around this world. And some folks have a false uh, this sense, like the devil's taking over, uh, things are happening, whatever. Some think people think not you, but that during COVID, God kind of closed down shop, whatever. But God never closes down shop. He's moving around the world. In our lane, my wife and I, it's of course America. God sent revival to America. Some of you say amen. But we want to see America taken by the power of God. But for us, our lane is also Romania, India, and Zimbabwe, Africa. And we're there about three months out of the year. And just some quick little pics. They say a picture paints a thousand words. And this is all to let you know that God is moving around the world. First picture, uh, this is Zimbabwe, Africa. And we go all over Zimbabwe, Africa. And we hold what's called festivals of hope to plant churches. And uh, so we'll go to different uh, cities and villages and towns and, and uh, the people come and people are getting saved like crazy across Zimbabwe, Africa. Uh, next picture. Uh, this is just one part of an altar call a few months ago. Uh, everyone in that picture at that very moment is accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So people in Zimbabwe are hungry for the Lord. 
And when I give a call like that for salvation, I then call out the guy and wife that will pastor that church. We're there for a, a couple of weeks or whatever, but I call out the pastor. He meets his new people, and the church begins that next Sunday. So God is moving across the mountain. Next picture, every night before the outreaches, uh, we have a, a massive kids crusade. And, uh, and uh, matter of fact, you see the clown there. My wife is next to that. My wife is not the clown. Well, well, she is a clown, but she, she she's next. She married a clown, but she's next to the clown. But, but we're seeing children getting saved and baptized in the spirit. And so pray for the children of Zimbabwe. One out of three people in Zimbabwe are HIV positive. And, uh, but God is sweeping Zimbabwe with new churches. The other little, uh, next picture, uh, we, we began this during COVID. We, we asked our leadership team. We have a director that directs our ministry in Zimbabwe. We said, we'd like to do water projects in Zimbabwe. And the national leadership said, we'll let you do one if you promise to do 50. I'm not sure how that works, but we said, okay, we commit to do 50. And so this is in one village where a solar powered, no, no longer the old pumps, whatever, and that was solar powered, fresh water. In Zimbabwe, people wake up, sometimes walk two, three hours, sometimes longer to find water, and then it's dirty or no water. But now we're, we're putting these solar powered systems on the churches we plan in Africa. And because you can drink fresh water and still die and go to hell without Jesus. We want them on church property. The churches can use them uh, to win souls, to share about fresh water, but also to people about living water. We committed to 50 of them, 45 are funded, and uh, the 27 project was just completed. And so we're so thrilled what God's doing all over Zimbabwe, Africa. Uh, next picture, let's leave Zimbabwe. This is right now, uh, this is India, and uh, kind of a weird picture, but for security reasons, I had to be careful. This is in Sonaguchi, uh, India, the largest red light district in all of Asia. And we work the ministry there uh, to rescue girls uh, that are trapped in trafficking. And uh, we learned of a need there in Kolkata uh, a year ago to buy a building in Kolkata, India, to be a ministry center to reach more children and more girls. And uh, the need was about $200,000. I'm thinking, I'm not sure about you, but that's a big chunk of change. I was at one church in a woman's Bible study, and they said, mention some projects, some needs, and I mentioned this. And a guy walked up to me last night with his wife with watery eyes and said, here's the check, the funds, the, all the money's been raised. We're buying a building in the center of that hill to rescue girls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So pray for India. God's moving all over India. Just got back from there a few days ago. Next picture. I know we're going quick. I mentioned about how many here on Friday night. I mentioned taking girls shopping. Uh, these are some girls from the orphanage that are rescued. If they weren't in that picture, they'd be trafficked and abused by men several, uh, several times. When you're trafficked as a girl in India, I, I don't see any young ears in this room, but when you're trafficked in India, the first day you're trafficked, you are violated, you're raped over 40 times the first day. Because they want to crush you of any sense of hope, any sense of future. And if that girl wasn't in that picture, she'd be living a life that's unthinkable. But this is one picture. Uh, next one. Uh, we're at mall shopping. I love Shirsha. I love that little girl. And uh, they're buying new clothes for the first time in a mall. And uh, just having a great day together. So uh, we love India. And we're praying for God to rescue more girls. And for India to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ.
Uh, next picture. We're almost done. Uh, this, okay, this every uh, year in October, this, we just had this. We have a retreat for children born out of trafficking. And so these are kids in that picture that will never, ever know their earthly father. We began a, a camp for them every October, and we have it catered. We bust them in, and now their mothers are all prostitutes, and now, but they're getting saved, baptized in the Spirit, and God's raising some of them up into ministry, and that it's an amazing time, and that we love those kids so much, and again, that's India. And just one more picture. This is now Romania. Anybody getting travel weary yet? You're getting seasick and whatever, but this is Romania. Uh, this is the orphanage. We're heavily involved in Romania. We plant churches in Romania as well. But there's an orphanage we're so connected with. We know all of them by name. We love these kids. The little boy, uh, uh, they see the two in the front. The one on the, on the right with the light blue shirt, Daniel. If you go up to Daniel, say, Daniel, what do you want to do when you grow up? He'll look at them and say, someday I'll be the director of this orphanage. And so God's raising up these children. And we're taking them on mission trips on, to other parts of Romania. We're flying them. We're, they know the language. And uh, we're taking the other parts of Romania. And uh, they, they're doing the ministry. They speak the language. In, in one Turkish Muslim village in one night, half the village got saved in one night. I called a friend of mine on Staten Island, Pastor Ron Squibb. Pastor Jeff knows him. And I said, Ron, I'm going to village in Romania with some kids in the orphanage that did ministry. I said, half the village got saved tonight, but there's no church building. He said, well, there's going to be. Sent a team. There's a church in that village that's growing and thriving in a Turkish Muslim village because some young people are being raised up with the call of God upon their life. Uh, we leave for there in about a month from now. Have Christmas there. Some of the blessing this weekend is going to go to bless those young people. So pray for India. Pray for Zimbabwe. And please pray for Romania that God will continue to move and pour out his spirit. Amen. And so if anyone ever tells you serving God's boring, I'm not sure what God they're serving, man. Because God's doing great things. I know the devil's active. But God is moving all over this world. And he doesn't love India, Romania, Zimbabwe any more than he loves Freehold, New Jersey. So this morning, for a few moments, if you have a Bible, it's John chapter 3. Thank you for letting me take you on that quick world tour. Hope you're not jet lagged. But John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it's simple, it's basic Bible. Here's what the Word says on a glorious Sunday morning here in Freehold. It goes like this. John 3 verse 1, it reads like this. Uh, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi said, uh, we all know that God uh, has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you uh, can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you respect the Jewish teacher? Yet you don't understand these things. 
I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up their brush neck in a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The worst thing that ever happens to anybody. That, that, that's a big statement because a lot of bad things can happen. But the worst thing that can ever happen to anybody is to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. I, I want to say that again. The worst thing without debate that can happen to anybody is to leave this world without Jesus Christ as your Savior. And as you look at Scripture from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you see how God works in the lives of people. The fact that God wants none to perish, He wants all people to be saved. I spoke in one church, a different message on hell, and um, a guy jumped up, was in New Jersey actually, and began to scream at me and said, if God's a loving God, then why would there ever be a hell? And well, the fact is this, God doesn't want anybody to ever die and go to hell. Now that's where you're supposed to yell amen. Let me give you one more crack at that. God doesn't want anybody to ever die and go to hell. Come on. He wants people to be saved. So how does he do this? He begins to move in their lives. I've never gotten over how God draws and touches people. And this morning, very quickly and simply, how God worked in the life of a Bible character named Nicodemus. Uh, Let me reintroduce him to you. He's the famous guy in John 3 that Christ said you must be born again. But some more background on Nick. Can we call him Nick this morning? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Back in those days, it was a select group of 6,000 people that kept the law to the hilt. Uh, these guys were so zealous, and they even made up crazy laws to make sure they didn't mess up the regular laws. But in those days, Pharisees were very well respected. Number two, the guy was also a member of the Sanhedrin. This is a group of 70 people, officials of the high court of, of, of Israel, uh, like our Supreme Court. And so when Nicodemus walked down uh, the, the street and, uh, in Frio, New Jersey, people see him. He was also wealthy. There's a rich guy. There's a Pharisee. And there's a guy, a member of the high court of Israel. This guy had it going on. But then the Lord gave him a high compliment. We read a moment ago, Jesus referred to Nicodemus as the teacher of all of Israel. He said, Nicodemus, of all the rabbis, all the teachers, you're in a class all by yourself. Let's go back. The guy's rich. The guy's a Pharisee. The guy's a member of the Sanhedrin. And the guy in the eyes of God's son, how about this on your resume? You are the teacher of all of Israel. So when he walked down the street, people look again and go, that guy has got it going on. One small problem. The guy was lost. I mean, the guy was lost. You can have it all, Jesus said, didn't he? What good is it to gain the whole world, but then lose your own soul? And so Nicodemus represents people that may look like they got it going on on the outside, but they're absolutely 100% lost. And now we see how God works in the life of a lost person. 
It plays out like a three-part drama. How many have ever been to Sight and Sound in, in Lancaster? Anybody been to Sight and Sound? A number of you. You know how it goes. You go to Sight and Sound, watch the show, leave the show, go to an almost buffet and gain 35 pounds. That's how that works. But that great place of sight and sound, uh, you go and, uh, and you watch the Bible uh, presentations. The life of Nicodemus, it plays out like a sight and sound drama in three acts. The first one is in John 3. This is a lost guy. In John chapter 3, you find a searching Nicodemus. Here's a guy religiously, and the eyes of people, you couldn't get more religious. In the eyes of people, you couldn't get more safe and Nicodemus, but the guy was lost. But in John 3, a church of Nicodemus, he goes up to Jesus in the night hour and under the skies of nighttime, and he says, listen, he says, we know you're different. This is a guy that's searching. He says, we know you're different. We hear what you're saying. We know that you're from heaven. And, uh, and he starts talking. Look, we know that you're different. We see the miracles. And Jesus interrupts him. And Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus never, never asked. He said, you must be born again. That freaked Nicodemus out. He says, how do you do this? How does an old guy crawl back into his mother's womb? And, uh, and Jesus shares about the difference of natural birth and spiritual birth. And, and speaks about being born again, not in flesh, but spirit. And Nicodemus comes back and says, but how are these things possible? He was struggling with all, it's been uh, for, forever, as long as it's been man, the struggle of I want to save myself, but I don't know how to do it. He represents folks in New Jersey this morning who are searching and need Jesus. Nicodemus represents everyone in your family that hasn't yet come to Christ. Everyone in some way, they're searching for truth, my friends. And John chapter 3, he comes at night, maybe fearful of being seen by people, but he comes and he approaches Jesus. And, and Jesus again says, you must be born again. And what he's saying is this. He said, Nicodemus, your salvation will never be based on what you do. It will be based on what I do on the cross for your sins. And so up to now, Nicodemus, all about the law, keeping the rituals. And Jesus says, bag all those things. It's not of works, Paul said, lest any man should boast. And so he's saying, Nicodemus, if you really want salvation, it won't be from what you do. It will be because what I do for you on the cross when I shed my blood for your sins. Who am I talking to in this room? I know first service, and, and, but you can be lost in the first service. You can be in this morning and say, right, I'm here, and I'm in the right place, right time, right people, but yet be on the outskirts of the kingdom of God. And God's saying to you, he says, I want you to be born again. And so in John 3, he's searching. But I've got great news. Well, there's a world that's searching. They're searching in India. They're searching in Romania. They're searching in Zimbabwe, Africa. They're searching in New Jersey. We see it manifest in America in so many ways. Uh, this whole, uh, uh, the wickedness and the darkness of humanity. People are searching. There's an unrest in America like we've never seen before. Here's the problem. If you search too long in your own strength, the devil will take you down roads you thought you'd never walk down. But I've got great news. You're not the only one searching. Not only are people searching for truth. Jesus Christ, 24-7, is seeking and saving the lost. 
Sometimes folks ask us, by the way, because of our travel. They say, great, what's God doing in the world? We're not experts on that, whatever. But really, what's he doing? Have we gotten to that in the church? We have to ask, what is God doing? He's doing Luke 19.10. I've come to seek and save those who are lost. So 24-7, every day, that's why the churches in the last days that are going to thrive are not churches that just count nickels and noses. The churches like this place, where the heart for the world, heart for your community, that say, God, give us souls in these last days in free old New Jersey. So in John 3, a picture of a guy named Nicodemus. He had everything you could ever want for religion. The guy was empty in love. This isn't about being Protestant. Being Catholic, being Baptist, being Lutheran, being Presbyterian, uh, being a vegan, uh, being gluten-free. This is about knowing Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. How many are glad in this room this morning that Jesus Christ found you? Come on. I'm so glad. Remember the song I wrote many years ago, Amazing Grace? Remember, I give God all, I write those, the songs that make the whole church sing, but are you glad you were once lost, but now you are found? Because there was a day in a moment in your life, in your lostness, in my lostness, when Jesus Christ tracked you down and Jesus Christ saved your soul. I didn't grow up in church. Robin grew up in church, got saved at nine. God took Robin out of a life of crime at the age of nine years of age. Just kidding. Got saved. I got saved at 17. I got saved because a girl asked me to go to church at 17. I, I didn't give a rip about church. We did go to church. My dad was a pro athlete many, many years ago. And I just thought, you know, just, it was just basketball, life, tennis, whatever. And, and uh, a, a girl said, you want to come to church? I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go is what I said. And uh, I went to church with her for all the wrong reasons. I told you this probably in the past. Put on some of my dad's cologne. Somebody say, thank God for Old Spice cologne right now. Come on. And uh, I, I wasn't even a Christian yet, but I believed in full immersion. I like, baptized myself. And, and, and uh, I and Old Spice and went to church, Springfield Mass, home of basketball, and I sat in the balcony, did all the wrong reasons. And that night, Jesus Christ blasted me with the power of his grace and his love. And I'm standing in a church in Freehold, New Jersey, many years later, because he, one Sunday night, Jesus searched and found me out. He took a lost young boy and washed me in his blood and set me free. In John chapter 3, we have the picture of a searching Nicodemus. You may be in this room this morning. Maybe you could be a family. Don't ever give up on people around you who are searching. Don't become a specialist or looking at your family and go, Greg, preach sweat, spit. My family doesn't give a rip about Jesus, and they're never going to. And, uh, Greg, you don't know where every, no, no, listen. If he saved you, he can save anybody. If God saved me, he can save anybody. Isn't that right, church? So in John 3... Nicodemus is searching, but Jesus is also searching. But now let's go quick to John chapter 7. In John 3, he's searching. But in John chapter 7, you see a stirred Nicodemus. Look at John chapter 7 at verse number 40. It says this. When the crowd heard him say this, some of them declared, sure, this man is a prophet we've been waiting, expecting. Others said he's the Messiah. Others said, but he can't be the Messiah. Will he come from Galilee? But the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned, 
without having arrested Jesus, the lean priests and Pharisees demanded, why don't you bring him in? We've never heard anybody speak like this. The guards responded. Have you been led straight to the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers of Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but the ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. But look at verse 50. It says, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, he spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before a given hearing? Imagine, in John 3, he's searching. But from John 3 to John 7, something's happening in the heart of Nicodemus. In John 3, it comes at nighttime so, so nobody could see him, uh, fear of his peers and, and ashamed or whatever. But now in John 7, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus is there and they're angry and they're mad, they're wanting to kill him. And, uh, and the Pharisees are mad, wanting to arrest him. And Nicodemus speaks up. He defends Jesus. The guy, they, they all hated Jesus. But in John 3, he's searching. But John 7, when they're thinking, is there anyone that believes in your own? Nicodemus says, listen, is this who we are? Is this how we treat people? Do we convict a man before he's given a trial? And so in John 3, he's searching. But now in John 7, you've got Nicodemus defending Jesus. Why? Because he was under the stirring power of the Holy Spirit. Some say, Greg, you know, preach, sweat, spit, do your deal. I'll follow Jesus whenever I choose to. No, you won't. No, no Greg, don't understand. Greg, listen, you, you do your thing, whatever. But if I want to get saved, I'll, I'll do it whenever I want to. Impossible. Whoever got this idea that, that salvation's in our hands, my Bible tells me salvation belongs to the Lord. He gives it to whoever he wants. Whenever he wants, however he wants. But this idea that, that uh, yes, people can get saved in church. You can get saved in a crack house. You can get saved in a bar. You can get saved in a football game. Listen, Jesus can save somebody anywhere out. But this idea that we can just make the decision whenever we decide, it simply is impossible. Because salvation is a miracle, my friends. It's only by John 6, 44, where it tells us that no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. A person comes to Jesus only by the tug and the draw of the Holy Spirit. And this is a problem we have now. Because remember, remember during the worst part of COVID, and uh, we'd have our services, and, and uh, maybe here, Robin got hit hard, so I'm not, I'm not making light of COVID. But remember when churches, when you have a service, and you come in like with spacesuits, and they spray the room, they kill all the germs, whatever, and uh, sanitize, and that, that happened, lots of places, and that's one thing. But in some places, and many churches, we, not all, but many, we, we want to sanitize the room of any sense of emotion. It's wrong if we feel anything. Uh, that we just check our emotions in at the door. And, uh, and, and uh, yes, I'm aware. We have to be careful. We don't walk by feeling. We walk by faith. Can I get a big amen? It isn't touchy-feely. We, we have to have our faith rooted in the scriptures. We have to know what we believe and why we believe it. Someone say amen. Come on. But this idea that we come to church and uh, we, be careful. Listen, don't feel. I'll never be there. Let me be honest with you. If you're not right with God, I want you to feel something. I want you to sense God's love being dumped all over you. If you walk out lost, I want you to walk to your car with a sense of God's breath on the back of your neck, not condemning you, but whispering, I love you, because it is God's goodness that brings people to repentance. 
If you're not right with God, I don't want you. Uh, yes, Greg, I'm not, we're not robots. We're not, we're, not just, we're not robots. If you're not right with God, I want you to feel the fact that God sees you and God knows you and God loves you. There's somebody breathing in the room right now. Uh, listen, and Greg, I'm here. Maybe Greg, people think, whatever, but they're secret. Still, listen, I, I, I confess, I, if you're not right with God, I want you to feel the fact that God loves you on your worst day. Uh, uh, you know, uh, this whole idea of transgender and all the transition. If you're in this room battling thoughts of your identity, whether female or male, listen, I, I don't want to berate you and laugh at you. I want to buy you lunch today. I want to look into your eyes and with a gentle voice, I want to tell you that when God made you, God didn't make a mistake, but you're made in the image of God and God loves you. You identify, that, that's, that's on you, your choice, but God will never, ever, ever stop loving you, church. There's somebody breathing in the room today and God's saying to you, I want to draw. People think, I remember one, one pastor said to me, he said, you heard about the water wells in Africa? And he said, well, you know, I'm not into the water thing. And I, I, he's a good friend. And, and uh, I said, you would be if you didn't have any water. And they went to support nine wells in, in Zimbabwe, Africa. 72,000 bucks. Those wells, all, and listen, I've seen people weep at those wells. I've watched village women dance and sing and shout. Listen, it isn't about the well. It's simply a loving God telling people, I care about your deepest needs. There's somebody breathing as Bonnie comes. There's somebody breathing in the room this morning. And listen, if you're not right with God, either never come to Christ or uh, you're just, Greg, I'm here and I, 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 I'm drifting. I'm not right. There's secret sin. Greg, I slip in, slump down, slot out. I I don't want to to get too close. I want to make it kind of effortless. I don't want to get too involved. Listen, I am praying God to dump buckets of love all over you. I want you not to swim to your car because God's love is so deep. He said, Greg, I've given up on myself. God will never, ever give up on you. Those girls who saw shopping in the mall, it wasn't about clothes. It wasn't about new shoes. Are you kidding it's letting them know, God's letting them know, I see you, and I love you, and I just want to bless you. Say, Greg, you know what? It's the first service. You need to lighten it up in this room. You're way too intense this morning. Not going to do it. Because it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And there's people today, make no mistake, who run through the corridors of hell that say, dear God, why didn't I respond when God was tugging at me and God was drawing me? In John 3, he's searching. In John 7, there's something happening in the life of a Pharisee. He says, this isn't what we, how we treat people. He defends Jesus. He wasn't there yet, but something was stirred in the life of Nicodemus. I pray this morning that God stirs something deep inside of every person in this room. I'm going to end with this. Pastor Jeff said, try to end the first service by 2 o'clock, but I can't go that long. I feel awkward. I'm Pastor Jeff, please, I'm sorry. I can't go to 2. I feel uneasy. I feel, I feel a check in my spirit. Is that gonna be? I'm going to end right here right now. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. 
John 3, he's searching. In John 7, he stirred. God's coming after him. Like God's coming after you. He's so gentle. But he's so strong. People say, Greg, you go to Zimbabwe, those, those festivals, you saw the pictures of all the people. Do you, do you go there and like ask people to accept Jesus? Are you kidding me? Go travel. It's a 16-hour flight from Newark to Johannesburg. I'm not getting in a, I'm not going to ask. I'll go and beg people just to ask. Are you kidding me? I'll plead with people. I'll beg people and plead with people. If the Spirit of God does only that which God can do, He draws, He stirs, He touches. And the last thing is this. Are you still with me this morning? We're still together? John 3, He's searching. John 7, he stirred. But in John chapter 19, you find a fully surrendered man named Nicodemus. Only our Savior can take searching people and bring them all the way through to being fully surrendered. How many are glad this morning you are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Somebody say a big amen. Let's end with this. It was... It, was, it says in John 19, and we just read one part of it, verse 50. Joseph from Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. And verse 50 says that with him, and I'm ending with this, it says that with him came a man named Nicodemus. Amazing to me. Amazing to me. A guy in John 3 that says, I'm lost, I've got nothing. I've got all the religion, I could, all the money, all the religion, but there's something missing. I'm missing something. And then in John 7, he's stirred, he's defending Jesus. And this isn't, but now in John 19, the guy in John 3 that said, I gotta come under the cover of nightfall. I don't want anyone to see me. I just, I'm ashamed. I don't want anyone to know I'm going to Jesus. But now in John 19, he comes to the cross of Calvary where the world could see him to take care of the broken body of the one that died on the middle cross. Joseph did not come alone. Nicodemus came with him. Unashamed to be seen. Doesn't the Bible tell us if we're ashamed of him here on earth, he'll be ashamed of us before his father in heaven. There's never a cause to be ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout a big amen. So in John chapter 19, he surrendered. From John 3 to 19, something happened deep in the heart of a man named Nicodemus. And now it's, I don't care who sees me. I make my decision. I come to the place called Calvary, Golgotha, to care for the one that died on the cross for my sins. I wonder if there's somebody breathing in this room today. You're seconds away from coffee and a bagel. And there's nothing like a New Jersey bagel. Come on. They're like Michelin tires. You can't beat a New Jersey bagel. You're moments away from walking. You're moments away from getting back into your day. But maybe God is interrupting your search right now. And God's saying to you, I want you. I want you to serve. A lot of people sit in our churches who've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But he teaches us the power 
of what it means to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to end with this. We're going to be done. The clock is a ticking. It was in, are we still together? Don't touch, if you don't even touch your car keys. You touch your car keys, lightning will shoot out of heaven over your chair and will drag you out. It's an ugly thing when it happens. It's so terrible. But we're done with this. It was in Tennessee, Wednesday night service. Pastor gave a Bible study. Big church that about downstairs was the people they shut off the balcony for Wednesday nights but he saw some activity up there he was in his office after the Bible study getting his things together to go home and as one of his deacons came in his office and said pastor can you there's someone here that's really distraught they need to speak with the pastor should I tell him maybe tomorrow next day whatever he said no no I'll, I'll talk to them now took off his coat sat in the chair about 15 seconds later he shared he shared with us ministers years ago up in New England he said in his office staggering, weeping, sobbing came a man by the name of Elvis Presley. It was Elvis that had snuck up in the balcony that Wednesday night, dressed in disguise, and he came in his office sobbing, convulsing, weeping. And he said, Elvis was that close in my office to receiving Jesus Christ as a Savior. Now, we know they found Elvis dead. We know that. And I'm glad God is judging. I'm glad he's, God knows what's best. I hope at the end that Elvis cried out to Jesus. I, I do. How many, don't you feel that way? I hope he loved the gospel. He loved singing. I hope he surrendered to Jesus. But not everybody does. And he said that he was in his office and that close to receiving Jesus. Just weeping under heavy conviction, that close to surrendering to Christ, when it was like somebody flipped the switch and he jumped up and he said, "I can't do it. I can't do it. There's so many people, so many depending on me. I can't." And he said he walked out of my office. It wasn't months, but weeks later, they found Elvis Presley dead. And again, my prayer is that I hope in his last moments that Elvis cried out to the Lord. But that's all in His hands. But what about you today? Can you walk out the doors of this church on a Sunday morning in New Jersey and say, God, I thank you for your grace because I have fully surrendered my life to you. Let's stand all over the room. You've been so kind this morning. Would you stand just for a moment? You've been so gracious. My goodness, what a great church family. Come on, if you're in the room and Jesus Christ has saved your soul, I'm, I'm going to throw you a softball. This should be so easy. This, this, it should be hard to get control back in this service. But if you're in the room and say, Greg, that was me. I was lost, but now I'm found. Greg, I was once lost in my sin, but Jesus saved my soul. If that's you, I want you to take 20 seconds and do nothing but lift your voice and thank God out loud that you Jesus saved your soul. Come on. Somebody shout to God right now. Somebody thank God right now. Somebody clap their hands right now. Somebody thank the Lord right now. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Let them know. Let them know. Thank you, God. I was lost. Come on. Ten more seconds. Somebody praise God. Somebody thank God right now. I was lost. I was lost, but you found me. I was dead in my sin. Come on, five more seconds. Somebody give God a shout in this room right now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. For saving my soul. For saving my soul. For saving my soul. For saving.